Hello and welcome to the SRA podcast. Today I have an interview with a couple of SRA organizers in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who've been doing some excellent work on mutual aid projects in the face of COVID-19. Austin and Nicole, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Nicole. I have been an SRA member since 2018. Um, I have a lot of background with doing mutual aid type projects both politically and non-politically, and was really excited at the opportunity for our chapter to really step in and start doing some serious work on the mutual aid front. So uh, my name is Austin. I actually joined the SRA just back in October, and I became active in my chapter in January. Uh, I have some previous, uh, previous mutual aid experience delivering convoys of donations and stuff like that, and uh, I really think it's our responsibility to invest in projects like this, uh, both to help our local communities and to help our ideals. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. So the Tulsa chapter has been doing a lot of excellent work with mutual aid in response to COVID-19, to the point that you've actually been covered by a number of different media outlets, both local news and radical. There was an article, um, an interview that you did with It's Going Down, which is a sort of anarchist-oriented media platform, and then also with Black Wall Street Times. So can you talk a little bit about the mutual aid actions you've been engaging in the past uh, couple of weeks? Um, it's a pretty straightforward kind of distro that we're focusing on. There's a lot of organizations in the area, especially a lot of like your more normal like charity organizations and bigger nonprofits that are doing a lot of work focused on like grocery relief and food assistance. The thing that I kind of noticed and that we had kind of talked about as a chapter in the beginning is that the question that's kind of being danced around like locally within our community, is what happens once the hospitals start filling up and people start losing even more access to like medical care. And that was where the idea for including over-the-counter medical packs along with the grocery distribution kind of came from um, wanting to kind of get ahead of the curve, so to speak, of getting supplies to people before they start becoming even harder to access once you know, more and more people start losing access to professional health treatments. Awesome. Well, can you talk a little bit more about the specifics? So we have a lot of people in the SRA who want to do mutual aid, but don't necessarily understand how to go about it if they've never done something like that before, or if they're just starting out with it. So maybe you could walk people through the sort of step-by-step process of how do you organize this, you know, both within your chapter and coordinating with other groups and for instance, how do you find people that you can distribute supplies to, which is something that a lot of people are not sure how to go about? So how do you how have you organized that within your chapter? So one of the first like documents that we actually put together for this project was a request form for people to start sending us information about what they needed. I my kind of view on mutual aid in general is you always start by just identifying the greatest need that is probably going to be overlooked by normal powers or the state. With Oklahoma being such an economically depressed state, though, one of the things that was really apparent really early on is that the like the economic issues, the stock market, market crash, were more apparent 
then the actual like COVID crisis. And because we started just like immediately getting asked for help. And it was a lot of the same stuff. Like I just lost my job. We've already been living paycheck to paycheck. Like we don't know what to do. We need help. Um, and that's really kind of where things were able to springboard for us is it was really obvious that our community was already agitated to the point of reaching out for help. And then from there, it was just kind of, we talked internally about how we would actually set up a distribution. And that was whenever we kind of got into like the logistics of everything. So uh, the the kind of step-by-step approach to set, setting up a project like this, Nicole, Nicole touched on this is uh, you need to analyze where the need is and more importantly, what needs you can actually fill. Uh, there are a lot of other issues in this city that we that we could focus on with this mutual aid uh, aid project, but we knew that we could work specifically on this distro instead. So once we had decided what we were going to do, then we started getting people involved with it and immediately started trying to come up with a system and paperwork that we could show people to show that we were legitimate and start getting donations and things like that. Because once you have your system figured out, you really require donations to be able to keep going for any length of time or all of your membership are going to be burdened with paying for it out of pocket. Uh, So once you once you figure out your idea and you get people to help uh whatever you can do to make your project seem legitimate enough that people will donate to it is extremely important and in my experience like the easiest way to legitimize yourself is to just you know your work speaks for itself we were really fortunate that at the beginning of this project we were kind of working alongside another local mutual aid group called the Oklahoma Grocery Network. And they're more online and they're focused on connecting people who either have resources or have the ability to go get them to people who are in need or do not have that same ability. And because they aren't really like a physical kind of project, um, somebody contacted them about taking in an entire pallet's worth of food. At the time, nobody had any idea what was going to be on the pallet, but the person who was organizing over there previously went to school with one of our SRA members and the two of them had been talking and she ended up offering the pallet of food to us because we had secured the workspace by then. And so we had a place where we could store everything and, you know, start to set up our actual system for how we would go about, you know, breaking down the pallet and distributing it and doing Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, And once we just started like making kits and getting them handed out, it, things really started rolling from there because it was like, Oh, these people are just, they're doing the work. That's really interesting. Um, That's in my opinion, where the first, bit of local coverage that we got came from because it's true the first media coverage that we got was actually um our local fox affiliate running a story on us Um, oh wow just hilarious the way that the reporter is kind of incredulous whenever she says socialist rifle association at the beginning of the segment it's it's really awful but um that i think really is kind of indicative of the way that all of this has unfolded. The simple fact that 
we just went ahead and started building the kits, getting them handed out, and then other things kind of fell into place. Mm -hmm. But we can't deny that we were very, very fortunate to get that first donation and that that sort of stuff only happens because of like the relationships that people build right. within communities. That's how we have the workspace. That's how we've done. That's how we've really been able to do a lot of this. And uh, that I, I'd like to segue into a point from there too. Uh, one of the, one of the big methods of success here is uh, to really focus on expanding your network and literally contact people uh, with questions that you wouldn't contact normally. Somebody, if somebody receives an email from uh, from a young adult or somebody who's just like, "This is what I would like to do," and it's a couple paragraphs, they will usually respond to you, even if it's like a corporate member of KFC or so, or something like that. Uh, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, that was the other really interesting thing that happened right at the beginning of the project. It was right after we'd gotten the pallet of food. Some people reached out KFC reached out about us helping them with like, like a hot like prepared food distro right which we weren't really set up yet we we didn't even really have delivery drivers on at the time because we were still getting our whole thing set up but we were still able to and Austin handled a lot of this um facilitate a lot of like expanding those networks so that like yeah like corporate people who probably would never even actually admit right. <laughs> to, you know, ups that this went to the SRA um, or who would never explain what SRA stands for. They didn't have a problem showing up whenever they realized that there was something going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's sort of the same experience that we had when we were organizing for like Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Michael where these sorts of institutional corporate sort of groups like Red Cross groups that normally wouldn't work with grassroots people, if you show up in the time of need and you actually do the work and you know demonstrate, yeah, we're, we are actually here to help and we're actually doing things that are benefiting the community, people can be incredulous all they want, but they can't dispute the reality of what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did actually hurricane relief after Harvey down in Houston, and it was really interesting because I was down there as part of the kitchen and we were cooking 1,500 to 3,000 meals a day and distributing them in like the Pasadena area, um, which is largely like immigrant and working class. But um, just let me put it this way. I've never been involved in a project before in which the, like the police were there because they were like, they wanted to hang around because they were like interested and they wanted to eat our food. <laughs> like, it was really <laughs> weird, like just having them chilling with us, like it, especially because our crew is like half like hippies from the Midwest and the other half was hippies from California, and like yeah, it was it was really interesting. <laughs> I wanted to interject a quick point, uh, just following up on what we were talking about with uh, groups that wouldn't normally work with us. The opposite side is true as well. And a lot of what we have to do is playing politics with groups who immediately think that we're suspect because A, we're the SRA and B, uh, because we're a mutual aid group at all. A lot, a lot of official groups really see mutual aid groups as like vigilantes. And uh, in my experience with uh, the major 
of flooding that we had last year, we were treated as criminals by the uh, by the police. They thought that we were the Cajun Navy, which isn't a reason in it, on its own to chase us out of a county whenever we have donations and stuff. But politics and trying to sell your group as a non-political group that is just trying to help is also a really big part of this because there are plenty of people who don't want to work with you. Yeah, the turf wars are 100% real. Like, it's it's the non-profit industrial complex for mm-hmm. a reason. No. There's a lot of money and prestige that comes with being, like, the magnanimous hero and the people who are more invested in the system, and in particular, who are more invested in making sure that these problems never fully go away because it guarantees their job security. Right. Um, those people have a really big problem with what we're doing. <laughs> we There were a few spats that kind of happened online when we first started putting like word out about the project and you know, having to point out to people that it's not a contest. We're all ostensibly just trying to help our community. Right. Exactly. And when I mentioned the Red Cross before, I do want to clarify that Red Cross National has always, like a formal organization, has always been very hostile to the SRA whenever we've tried to interact with them. What we found is actual volunteers on the ground doing the work are often more than happy to accept whatever help they can get in the middle of a genuine disaster scenario, because those are the people who are actually interested in helping people instead of just using it as a way to further a career. So putting that into a soundbite that you can say, uh, if you want to work with Red Cross, don't call them. Don't go through their uh, their call logs and stuff like that, because they'll hit you with the same red tape and bureaucracy. Show up to one of their shelters and ask one of the people working there how you can help or give them a suggestion of what you can do. And you will find that a lot of times uh, they will actually... Whether, whether or not it's with the Red Cross or just directly with their community, they will try to accommodate the aid that you're trying to give. Absolutely. I want to actually kind of notice from doing this project, we have, like for the medical kits, we have basically purchased, purchased all of the items for those from our fundraising money and from like personal funds donated by members. One of the things that I started doing was leaving the flyers that we also include in the kits that have information about the SRA, the IWW, because they are coalition partners for this, um, the local chapter, um, as well as just like information about our project and what we're doing. Because after a certain point, you know, like I said, your work starts to speak for itself and you really just want to start putting it out there to as many avenues as you can that you're doing this and that you know, whether that is because you are seeking donations or because you are seeking people who you want to request your services. I honestly have a feeling that we're going to get an email or something from at least one or two curious employees. We've already had contact from people that have received kits from us who have followed back up and been like, hey, so now I'm curious about the SRA. Like, how do we get involved with you guys? And that to me is just phenomenal like complete strangers who otherwise would never know anything about looking at what we're doing and being like i definitely want to know more and be involved with this and that's that's what uh solidarity is that's to to use a meme this is how we win right the you actually perform and give a service to people and then they want to approach you with an open mind even if you're the socialist rifle association 
Definitely. And it's really good to hear that you're working with groups like IWW as well. And this is something that we see in a lot of our mutual aid actions. I know our DFW chapter is working with DSA North Texas. Building these sorts of cooperative actions and building these solidarities between um, different leftist groups is also very important so that we are able to work together and not just exist as I feel like a lot of people want to treat socialist organizations and especially local chapters as sort of social clubs or political clubs where everybody is sort of siloed away into their own little tendencies in their own little universes. It's really important for different groups to be able to work together despite differences in ideology or praxis. When you have some action that you can work on together, especially a mutual aid action, I think that's a really good way to sort of break out of those bubbles and build cooperation and build larger organization across the left. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, our local IWW chapter, it's its technically a fledgling chapter because the charter paperwork was submitted this weekend, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> so hopefully we will be a, an actual GMB within this next week. But um, I am also the Oklahoma delegate for the IWW. And Basically, when we started working on the SRA project, and I knew that the bulk of my time was going to be going into this, a lot of our wobblies were like, hey, we really want to do some sort of mutual aid. And they were tossing around, because what a lot of like wobs and like labor organizers are kind of focusing on right now is like the workplace organizing and like the unionizing and stuff like that. But our members were a little bit more interested in doing actual aid work. And because we weren't actually chartered yet and didn't have like, you know, we couldn't do like hardship funds and stuff like that. They were tossing around different ideas, like making soap and, you know, different ways that they could fundraise and do things like that. And when we really started getting going and realized that, definitely needed to start working with other organizations because we were running up against certain issues like, well, who are we actually donating to? And, you know, what do we do with organizations who might be a little freaked out at hearing like socialists, you know, even though (laughs) it's really funny, even though the IWW is explicitly like a revolutionary organization (laughs) being the like, you know, apolitical because it's just working class instead of like political party. It's interesting how some people are less freaked out by that and they're more willing to like work with you or consider you. But basically the, the green country wobs voted that they wanted to form a mutual aid committee and form a coalition with the SRA and a lot of the success that we've been having, kind of like the behind the scenes success, like getting a lot of our paperwork in order and starting to reach out for bigger donations, like putting our press kit together and um, different reaching out to different press contacts and stuff. A lot of that has been like a lot of the WAPs have been handling that. And it's yeah, really cool. they've been amazing. Yeah, they've, they've really been doing some awesome work. All of our graphics, a lot of the, I guess the stuff that falls under the category of like digital organizing at this point, they've been handling a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's definitely, we're really starting to see like, this is the kind of stuff that you can grow when you really start thinking about it from like, this is a mass movement. This is how you build mass movements. This is how you work, you know, you work across tendencies across the aisle and you just start seeing like, what do we all have in common? Where is the area that we're all suffering? And it's just so, 
self-evident <laughs> during this current crisis that it's mm -hmm. really it's making it a lot easier to organize that's really the short of it it's a lot easier to organize right now <laughs> and so there's there's also a lot of potential for even more cross leftist group organizing. When when this first started, we were having these amazing just massive conference calls of like four or five different uh, different groups of different sizes, largely revolving around the DSA. Uh, we had already had our own spontaneous project coming up at that point, and we were going to work with them. Uh, they are still largely working on their national things, so that's kind of gone quiet for a little bit. But uh, if we can continue to maintain the resources to be uh, to be active when evictions start happening again, I think that this coalition in our city is going to uh, really ramp up and be something incredible again as all of the leftist groups in town start working with these people who are being kicked out of their homes and people who are newly homeless and things like that. Absolutely. What the DSA was wanting to focus on initially was the tenant organizing question. And specifically, they were going to work with DAOK, which is, it's the local chapter of like a national um, undocumented like immigrants' rights uh, organization. I don't know if you're all familiar with United We Dream, but um, DAOK will chapter. And it's actually been through DAOK that we've started to have a lot of success with our project in terms of being able to serve the undocumented community. Um, the last wave of requests that we've gotten have all been Spanish language requests. We got our request from Translated and they started circulating it within their circles. Um, but that is definitely kind of the other main area that really needs to kind of be organized in our area or where we need to be helping people self-organize is the, the tenants' rights question because Oklahoma and Tulsa in particular already has some of the highest eviction rates in the nation. I want to say we're in like the top 10 or something. It's really not good. And there are a whole lot of people that barely made April. And I know that that's going to be, you know, everywhere in the country is going to be facing a similar situation come May 1st. But Oklahoma is um, very strongly a police state and is already very mm -hmm. economically precarious. And I have a fear that that could potentially be like a, a powder keg next month, um, which is definitely why trying to do as much organizing as we can right now and starting to get people, you know, linked up with organizations and like, you know, thinking about how they can work together on their own to kind of weather this next storm. Because I think things locally might start to get really rough over the next month. I think tenant organizing is going to be one of the main sort of fronts of struggle for the working class over the next, honestly, for the next several years or decade. I'm actually planning to interview some local tenants union organizers on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So keep an ear out for that. But it's definitely something, especially with labor unions in this country, so weak um, and so undermined by the courts and legislation. Um, I think there's a lot of potential in tenant union organizing, and especially because it is such a large part of the oppression that people face in their everyday lives. So before we dive back into like the political sort of aspects, going back to the virus, so what sort of actions and precautions 
are you taking when you are doing your distribution, when you're putting together your kits to make sure that the kits that you're giving out are safe, that they are not contaminated with the virus? What sort of precautions are you taking to minimize spread? Uh, kind of the main thing that we have set up just on the ground floor, so to speak, is the way that we set up our distribution um, or set up our workspace specifically. We have a separate room in the back that is basically our quarantine room. Once things go in the clean and sanitized bins, they stay there for a minimum of four days. And then they are not opened, like they're sealed. We tape them shut and everything. They're sealed all the way up until the person that they are being delivered to is receiving those items. Um, Some people want a no contact delivery. So those just get left at the front door. We always notify everyone that their delivery is on its way. And then for people who aren't necessarily specifying like a no contact, they'll usually you know answer the door and they take the items themselves and take them in. We do the really basic, like the quote unquote disposable kind of mentality. Like you want all of your packaging and everything to be really easy to just get rid of and shed so that it doesn't need to come inside with you if it doesn't need to. Where we phase everything to go back into the quarantine room, we bleach spray everything and wash it down. We bleach the um, the outside of the bins. We've started bleaching the inside of the bins as well once everything is in there because everything is already sealed up in its own bags. The front half of our workspace is basically treated as if it is contaminated. All of our volunteers, we operate under the assumption that all of us could be asymptomatic carriers. We have a single direction flow of traffic that items are subject to. They only come in one side and they only go out one side. It's actually pretty basic in terms of like food service kind of procedure, which is kind of where we model a lot of this stuff because it is a lot of that is basic, like decontamination and, you know, sanitation procedures. All of our delivery people use gloves and masks, stuff like that. The big thing for us really that I think kind of made us different from other projects in the beginning is the fact that we just quarantine everything because that's really one of the easiest ways to be sure. And just, yeah, making sure to, like, we have gloves and hand sanitizer, um, bleach wipes, stuff like that. We bleach down the tables at the end of every night. We always, you know, we bleach surfaces at the end of the workday and stuff. We don't assume that the workspace is clean just because we're bleaching it every night, though, is basically the only way that we really think about it. Because people are still in there, they're still doing stuff. And even though we minimize traffic, we don't let more than six or seven volunteers be at the space at the same time. It's the absolute max. It's really just making sure that we have a very simple order that everything follows so that you can be sure, like, we've minimized spread here, we've minimized spread here, we've cleaned, we've prevented recontamination, it's out the door and it's done. Fantastic. All right. So are there any other aspects of your organizing that you think would be beneficial for other chapters who are doing this sort of work that we haven't covered so far? I know that's a wide open question. (laughs) But it's a a good question. Um, I think the first thing that I would always recommend, like anytime somebody reaches out to me and it's like, hey, I'm interested in doing something like this, 
the one thing that I always try to make sure that people understand going into any mutual aid project is it's not going to be perfect, but it's the fact that you're doing it and that you still care. Don't, you know, it's the whole, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Don't be so worried that you aren't going to be able to deliver this like perfect 100% mm-hmm. kind of thing that it prevents you from actually just getting some of the work done. Everything is trial and error. Everyone's a volunteer. And, you know, you do best when you assume that everyone is there in good faith. And just know that you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be things that you don't know how to handle. And just being open to the learning process. And it gets to where the question of mutual aid isn't even a question anymore. You hear that something is going to impact your community, that there's going to be needs that need to be addressed, and you already kind of intuitively know what you can offer to help with that. So uh, my little bit of advice, uh, I say this a lot whenever it comes to these projects, but uh, Martin Luther King Jr., one of his core tenets was, uh, was this idea of the fierce urgency of now. With any organizing uh, you have to take your momentum seriously and you always have to be willing to work on something, even if the way through doesn't seem like it's clear yet. When our project was fledgling, there were times where it was like, I don't know if there's anything that I can do right now. And I would spend I would spend time looking for anything to do because it might not be immediately apparent what needs to be done. But even if you do something that seems unrelated, at some point that will be needed. So it's really important to keep prodding your project, keep trying to push it forward, keep kicking it down the street until it hits a point where it can move on its own. And working with other people who have that same attitude, at least uh, at least like two or three other people will allow a project to really move forward through all obstacles, even if you have to work eight hours a day or something, because you can leave and come back and these other people who are just kicking the can down the streets have also have done eight hours of work while you were gone. Not everybody is wired to approach projects this way. And eventually the people who are kicking that can down the streets will, will have set something up where those people can find their role in which they can focus. But momentum, uh, momentum trying to get, uh, trying to get something set up now rather than later. Those are the two things that I recommend, not just for mutual aid projects, but any large project. There is a um, a podcast that Crime Think just did with some anarchist nurses who are down in New Orleans, they're frontline health service workers. And the thing that has stuck out the most for me about that interview is one of them talking about how like we are in the age of affinity groups. Whenever you think about what the gathering ban really means, like the 10 person limit, like most people intuitively, whenever you talk about affinity groups, they're already thinking of like a group of less than 10. Like this is the perfect opportunity to self organize, to start thinking about like who are the people around me that I know I can count on and already like, you know, we're kind of looking at the same picture. We already have kind of the same goals. What can we just do together without anyone else's permission what can we do for the people around us mm-hmm. and you know for the people who are touched by them and then how do you spell that out and you keep it going 
we are in the moment of self-organization. Like, all bets are off as far as, like, the capital's realist future goes, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And my number one focus with any sort of, like, mutual aid project is, you know, even if they are imperfect, setting up blueprints that other people will take and run with and figure out how to self-organize their own communities. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I think we're running a little short on time. So if people would like to contribute to your mutual aid project, either financially or donating goods, uh, how can they do so? Definitely shoot us a message. Um, Tulsa.sra at Gmail is our main inbox. Um, Also on the Twitter, the Facebook, anything like that. With in-kind donations, it's easiest if people can just swing and buy the workspace and we can get that scheduled. We can send people out to grab stuff if we need to. Financial donations, we have had a fundraiser going. It's technically still open for another couple months. We have hit our goal, but that doesn't stop us from accepting donations over our goal. And so that's the easiest thing for right now because it's already set up. It's a fundly fundly fundraiser um f-u-n-d-l-y and then it just says tulsa sra health kit fundraiser um and then we're also because we just finished up our chapter elections this weekend we're getting some of like our internal business taken care of and we're going to figure out a method for taking like direct donations eventually um but for right now um financial donations are easiest just sent through the fundraiser and we would love to talk to people about receiving in-kind donations Mm -hmm. so definitely do not hesitate to shoot us an email or hit one of our other inboxes if you think you can do something on that end fantastic and one thing that i would encourage you to do as a chapter is to take the written materials and forms that you've developed and share them on the slack with other chapter organizers and other people interested in starting these projects because I know that that's a big hurdle for a lot of people is figuring out how to put that sort of, you know, that sort of paperwork, that sort of infrastructural framework in place if they don't have someone in their group who's already experienced with it. Definitely. That, yeah, that actually is a really good point. Myself and one of our other local members, we have actually, because we have founded a couple of projects here locally, um, a lot of the paperwork is at this point it's stuff that is like morphed over a couple years of forms it's just like reusing and reworking forms um that would actually be a random piece of advice that i would have for people is if you've ever used a form for anything or if you recall any sort of like form or online documentation from another project that you've seen reach out and ask for those templates because they are really useful or just like start like keeping your own stuff like that if you have it um because that is not something that we really think about but it is something that really eases the overall process because you're dealing with institutional memory basically absolutely well thank you so much for coming on if you have any final thoughts before we sign off i was gonna say for my asher i was just gonna say i love being a member of the sra i love what has like been happening with our national organization with growing and everything and i am really happy that our chapter is able to be involved in a project like this that really helps show people like why you want to be with an organization like the sra absolutely and in the end it's all about solidarity 